Welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Futures. Um, my guest this afternoon is John Dempsey of Digital Shop Road Trip, who is all located everywhere, of course, because that's where you are. <laughs> you don't have right. such a thing as an address, but if you had an address, it would be Bend, Oregon, which is this marvelous place in central Oregon, right? It's a, I actually was surprised it's a desert. It's the high a, desert. Called High Desert. Yeah. It's a beautiful that's, that's what we love to call it. Um, it is. You've got mountains all around you. You've got beautiful outdoors. You've got more brew pubs and breweries per capita than anywhere in the United States. We sure do. It's a little paradise on earth down there. It is, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing place to be. So, John, do you want to tell us a little bit of your uh, journey? What, what's uh, taken you to uh, where you are today? Yeah, um, I've had a bit of a boomerang sort of relationship with, uh, with Bend in general. Um, I grew up here, really enjoyed everything that you just described, kind of made me, I think, a, a whole person, so to speak. And, um, and then Bend is a very small town, um, not a ton of advertising uh, opportunities here. And so uh, about five or six years ago, I, I moved to Portland to join Wyden and Kennedy and um, joined originally on the Kentucky Fried Chicken account when that account, uh, when Wyden took that account over in 2015 and um, had a lot of fun sort of turning KFC from um, sort of some, you know, a brand that, that was really kind of embarrassed by, by the things that made it unique, its relationship with uh, you know, Colonel Sanders and, and um, you know, sort of just kind of stuck in its ways of, of creating sort of, um, not an awesome product and, and wasn't uh, super proud of who they were and, and re sort of, we, I think we made a good effort to redefine that uh, for Kentucky Fried Chicken, which we can talk about. Um, and then that whole person that I kind of told, uh, talked about kind of started missing some of the things that, that made me whole um, access to the outdoors and, and um, getting to sort of find inspiration in, in the high desert, so to speak. And, and uh, also acknowledge that <clears throat> the advertising community is very small here and wanted to, sort of come back here and, and start something of my own uh, using a lot of the things that I, that I learned at, at Wyden and Kennedy and elsewhere. And um, Road Trip was formed. Uh, I have three other partners who represent different aspects of, of the marketing and, and advertising industry uh, from myself. And so through our foursome, we have uh, kind of all the, uh, all the corners or primary colors of, of the marketing and advertising industry sort of represented. So Road Trip was born, and, and now we're, um, we are primarily digital. Uh, we call ourselves a brand marketing agency. Um, you know, we like to think about uh, the full brand experience for our clients, um, ranging from small startups to uh, large agencies and, and their clients. And uh, we really try to bring sort of the holistic approach to, to developing and concepting and executing brand. Um, in in the 21st you know 21st century in 2020 which is uh kind of a wild a wild west so to speak in terms of what used to work and what's going to work moving forward what, what do you what do you think um 
what do you think agencies are missing? Like, you know, what, what, or what do you think clients are really looking for right now? Other way, you can either, either or each Yeah, other. those are both amazing multi-billion dollar questions, right? I think, I think what, what agencies tend to miss is, is an in, a truly integrated uh, approach to work. And, you know, agencies who, I think the majority of the large agencies that are sort of represented by, you know, the big four holding companies and some of the independently owned agencies like, like Wyden, they tend to be communications solve agencies. They are, you know, their clients are coming to them or they are bringing ideas to their clients that primarily rely on a single direction communications uh, solve for their business. And I think what agencies are missing is thinking of it as a more holistic sort of um, uh, user focused solve. And I think that's really what um, some of our social revolutions are all about right now is that brands and companies and, and things that sort of represent the institutional way of, of doing business are only thinking about one way, you know, telling brand, telling people, brands telling people, uh, to buy their products and how to buy their products and how to feel about their products, but are not sort of focusing on the holistic uh, approach of what it means to, uh, to be a consumer, to be a person today in, in today's sort of consumeristic world. So I think agencies are trying to, trying to shift their, um, their approach and it's not an easy thing to do, but shift their approach to be more holistic and more focused on the entire, um, on the entire uh, brand experience. An analogy that I used to use is sort of like a golf swing. A lot of companies are just thinking about one part of the swing instead of, you know, the entire the entire sort of approach uh, and swing and follow through. And and that's that's something that um, advertising is really going to have to figure out how to solve if it wants to stay a whole industry and not be picked apart either from within or by data companies that are starting to come in and and uh, data consultancies that are starting to come in and sort of drink their milkshake. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you, you've got sort of two schools. You've got like the the school of the brand. And then you've got kind of like the growth hacker. Right. And the growth hacker views brand work as a test. Right. I mean, let's see if I can get more users. If we do this advertising, the advertising people see this as the, uh, as the umbrella everything right right but growth hacker doesn't see it that way no so what's the difference between the two what's a, what's the mindset of a growth hacker i think a growth well if if i were to you know if i'm understanding how you're using the terms correctly and in my own opinion i think the growth hacker is truly focused on um growing through the user as you explained and, and really thinking about the entire experience and, and that's that's an important, I think that is the mandatory for, for how marketers and, and advertising firms should be thinking about work right now is, is thinking about the entire, you know, thinking about the entire use case and a growth hacker understands that your product is never going to be, um, you know, advocated for or communicated into other, you know, into other networks if there's no concept of the entire use. Uh, whereas a lot of brands that are driving, you know, the majority of the media and, and overall consumer, or excuse me, communications uh, industrial complex is really just thinking about how do you get it into their hands or how do you get it 
into their, you know, for, for a uh, customer to purchase it. And then kind of are forgetting about uh, the rest of the experience. And I think companies that are large and are, you know, taking a big share of those communications and advertising dollars need to be thinking of themselves as growth or growth hacker type companies. I think Nike is a fantastic example of thinking about the entire, you know, really the entire spectrum um, and, uh, and how they're really bringing value to their customers sort of use of their products, as well as the social surrounding, uh, you know, the social sort of tissue around that use and uh, companies are really going to need to start doing that on a more regular basis in order to have impact. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's simply, it seems like, once you have a direct relationship with the consumer, um, you, you can you can do that. You know, you have your own channel, you have your own dialogue. I mean, Nike have been masterful at it. I, th- I don't think actually they've got enough credit for what they've done. I mean, they're I actually, they're actually a legacy company. Um, I agree, and I think Nike is a good example because they are so well known for doing things a little bit against the grain and yet investing behind the scenes in mechanisms of their own to, to make that sort of swimming upstream more effective for them. For an example, they, you know, they developed their entire um, CRM and really the entire technology around their, uh, you know, their direct to consumer um, way of thinking their entire ecosystem. And that's, that's something that they could have just shortcutted and gone with a CRM or direct to consumer, you know, tech partner, uh, but they made heavy investments to do that on their own. And, and now that's paying off in, in not only, you know, many, many more uh, um, online sales than was predicted for them, but also, you know, allows them to, to think a little bit more broadly about how they impact culture and reap those benefits in a digital environment. So that's to me is a great example, you know, the Kaepernick, um, it's only crazy until you do it. it was an amazing communications platform. Um, that was an amazing advertising, you know, tr- traditional advertising way of, of doing things, um, so to speak, as a, as a communications uh, play. But they also have the background to sort of reap those benefits. And it's very rare that you see both uh, in, in today's world. Yeah. Um, what... You still sort of talked about the user and um, it seems to me like there's so much, there's so much going on there. It, you know, how to, you know, how do brands operate in that, in, in that environment? I mean, is it about um, handing things over? Is it, is it about, what's the give and take in that environment? I mean, people are going through conduits like influencers now a lot mm. and it's been going for yes. a while. Um, it, it seems that that's a place where you need to be, I mean, brands can be super smart or they can be completely clueless. I mean, it, it, yeah. um, it's 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 a tough one, and I I wonder I wonder what you what you're thinking because influencers seem to be the way that a lot of people are going. Yeah, I mean, to me, the baseline sort of starting point for those conversations where an influencer or an advocate comes in is this concept of authenticity 
I think influencers provide this, whether it's real or not, I think remains to be seen. I think the data has proven that it's more spurious uh, than, than we'd all like to think. But I, I believe that the, the idea is that people in general, just us as a consumer sort of audience are getting more weary of just straight up brand, you know, flashes of communications in your face. And, and that's becoming harder and harder for people to digest. It's, it's almost becoming, you know, the, the um, browser sort of uh, traditional pay-per-click sort of banner ads. Like people are just getting weary of these constant brand communications. Uh, and so influencers act as a great, at least a band-aid or maybe a short term, and we'll see if it's a long-term sort of solution to get authentic brand messages in front of people. Um, and so I think that's why you see even micro influencers where you're seeing, you know, people or brands are putting a lot of investment into many, many different smaller following, uh, influencer type people who are just normal people who use these products and advocate for them. Um, I think what's really happening is that we're just not thinking, I think brands traditionally are not thinking through how these, how they are creating real meaningful value in people's lives and are doing the things that really truly stand up, you know, stand the test of time. And, and that's as our world, I think, um, as our world is being disrupted seemingly every quarter, if not every month, if not every week, uh, the, the breakdown of, of, hollow or shallow communication strategies is just not going to work any longer and companies that you know i think companies really need to start following through with their promises and making good on on a lot of action and and so influencers you know give that lend that that sort of authenticity but there's there's many other ways that i think companies are doing it using using technology and and content sort of strategies to bring real value uh, into people's lives to, you know, whether or not it's something that's an important purchase or not, you know, Ikea is well known for using, um, testing technology like AR and VR to help people see how their products will fit into their life. That's the type of investment that I think brands are going to need to start making if they want to be considered more often. And what I, well, I, mean, it seems I also, to me, it seems to me that good. the people, I mean, it's, it's as simple as, as doing a good job on the customer journey. I mean, it's not that complicated. I mean, I, I completely agree. It, it seems complicated, but it's just not. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and I think once, once you, once you do that and you do it in, 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 with, with a thoroughness, um, you see the, you, you see the, uh, the holes, right. And you see the opportunities, um, you know, if AR, VR can, if you know, if you don't go to, if, if you just have a bit of understanding of the consumer experience and they say, why don't you visit Ikea frequently? Well, it's a, it's a pain, but you've got to bring right. Ikea to the people. Well, what can you use technology to bring Ikea to the people? Yeah. Well, you've done the right. catalog. You've always done the catalog. Right. Well, make the catalog better. Right. And that's a great example. I think the proliferation of these technologies that are becoming so user friendly um, is just not being caught up with enough by the majority of, of advertisers. And I think there's a lot going on there. I mean, I think, you know, Byron Sharp's sort of how brands grow, the, the concept of just being available um, and, and memorable is, is really dominating what's going on in a lot of, um, you know, sort of consume or uh, excuse me, communication strategies. And I think what is required now is, is an updating update of that thinking so that we're not only thinking about how to be 
memorable and, and be constantly in the awareness set, but then applying that to all of the different ways that people are using technology right now from, you know, even something that is as ubiquitous as YouTube is not being thought of correctly by a lot of brands because they're just using it as a broadcast platform to just shove their messaging in front of people. And people are very averse to that. It needs to be more thought, it needs to be more thoughtful and basically, considerate. So basically, look at your customer journey, look at the current frictions and do things that are useful because they remove those frictions. Absolutely. But Quite simple. You have, you have to start by understanding the customer. It, 100%. Understanding the customer, understanding how they're using technology. That's why I think a communications strategist uh, is one of the most exciting sort of new um, you know, iterations of the strategy department is because a comm strategist needs to think through not only the brand idea and how that shows up and protects, you know, the company and all of the things that it's used used for, uh, but but then applies that to how people are are really consuming media. And it is, it, you know, if you if you are not the type of agency or not the type of brand that is thinking through what is our YouTube strategy, what is our YouTube live strategy, what is our Twitch strategy. What is our TikTok strategy? Those are all very, very similar iterations of pretty much the exact same, or excuse me, similar iterations of, of one type of uh, video platform. And too often it's just kind of like, let's make a 30 second spot and just throw it on, you know, as a five or 15 second skippable ad on YouTube and call it good. And it's just, it just won't work. It won't work any longer or for much longer, I suppose. So, um, Let's rewind. What do we, what do we learn out of KFC? You took a, you, you know, I thought you summed it up pretty well at the beginning. You know, you, you, you took a, a brand that didn't really love itself very much and, mm -hmm. and uh, turned it around in, into something that um, had a degree of swagger. I guess the swagger is a way I would put it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was a part of a really incredible team there um, from the beginning, some really smart, very, very smart, creative and strategic folks. Um, Britton Taylor, strategy director, uh, Jesse Johnson, account director, Eric Baldwin, who's now, um, you know, executive creative director of, of Wyden Kennedy Portland, uh, Jason Career, some really, really, really amazingly future and progressive thinking people. Um, the, the strategy was, as you put it, just get KFC to be more in love with the things that made it unique. And then uh, try to build ways, alternative or ulterior ways to bring that love to life in, in emotionally appealing ways. Our emotion happened to be humor, but um, the idea was to sort of lean on the, the principles that the Colonel, the real Colonel Sanders himself sort of set out uh, to make, to make uh, his Kentucky fried chicken, the most craveable chicken on the planet. And he would use any means necessary to get people to think about his fried chicken. And so, the strategy was to update that for sort of 2015 to 2020 to current. Uh, and what we really tried to do is think about ideas that, that impacted or were relevant to small subgroups, small, um, small affinity groups or cultural groups, and then have those ideas bubble up. And so, you know, uh, it was as simple as have the sort of top level of TV work providing a lot of the, you know, just the reach, just the full-on impressions. 
say that again, sorry. I did the air cover. Exactly, the air coverage. And then, and then uh, you know, convince the, the clients to uh, allocate budget to doing things in digital primarily, but just, you know, off television that created really interesting ways for the brand to show up. And, uh, and that started to impact culture. And what you saw come out of that is things that, that really blew up probably bigger than, than they should for a brand like KFC. And, and, and it's continuing to happen. They launched a clothing line and sold it exclusively on, a, on an owned micro site. Uh, that generated a ton of headlines and, and got people thinking about KFC for really, you know, uh, other reasons uh, besides the fried chicken. And fortunately, fried chicken is a very craveable product. So that tended, you know, tended to do the work after you were thinking of them. So the idea was to just drive awareness as often as possible in new and interesting ways. And part of the tactics of that was to respect the platforms you know, do something on YouTube that was a live stream, do something on Twitter that, that sort of hacked the platform in an interesting way. And that, that really had a lot of, that proved to be something that could be done quickly in these sort of quick turn budget cycles and, and campaign window cycles, uh, but was a, was a constant um, line of thinking that, that we were able to build on and, and repeat. So, so when you were looking for audiences and sub-segments, what what were you looking for? Some people who had some culture within there that you could you could throw a smart bomb in and, and see what they did with it. Yeah, we you know we tried to find as as smart a way in as possible. I think the best example of this is is um, finding subculture groups that had the nice you know Venn diagram overlap of you know a fast food or QSR quick serve yeah. restaurant sort of. Um, customer but also had these affinity groups that were interesting and and they were vibrant so wwe is one of those affinity groups that lap overlaps really well and and uh wwe's has just an amazing entertainment platform that they're developing right now and, and were back at the time and so the, the the team approached wwe and said could we integrate colonel sanders in a way that that makes a commercial so to speak within a wwe event and that was sort of the stars. They, they were, of course, up for it. And that was sort of the stars aligning to create something that was a really unique media application, you know, media dollars application, a really amazing creative integration, and, uh, and really allowed the brand to stand out. And it was the, and so we called it the <laughs> WWE, uh, I think it was the, the SummerSlam uh, Chicken Littles execution, which I can send you a link. Uh, but it basically did sort of the, gave everybody the benefit of the doubt. It gave the audience the benefit that they were going to appreciate entertainment that was maybe a little bit more commercial, but that's what WWE is about. Uh, it put Colonel Sanders as this titanic sort of off, uh, uh, you know, bigger than life, larger than life character at the center of the plot and, um, and sold a product at the same time. And it was, it was an yeah. amazing execution. Yeah. It, it seems, it seems like in, in these type of cases, you sort of somehow you need data at the beginning to you, you kind of need you got a client he's going to make a radical switch. Mm. You're giving them something it's a glint in their eye. They, they, they're like, okay, this is exciting. But we mm. got to move the needle here. Yeah. So, so why can you then sort of, I mean, I've heard somebody from the New York office of creative talk about do a presentation on why I love data. Mm -hmm. um, Amazing. You don't normally <laughs> No, he was the guy who worked on, they worked it was the Bud Light team. Yeah. Looking at um, 
they were looking for reference points in culture yeah to show that there was a meme you know like developing that their idea had a, had a, a meme like aspect to it but so yeah do, and would you say in the early days data was a was a pretty important piece of this um it has been data has been an important part of sort of i think at least the strategy group at widen portland's approach um for a handful of years and it certainly showed up with kfc i mean we used yougov um quite frequently to find those overlapping affinity groups um we used a lot of internal data from kfc's own sort of registers to try to find opportunities where people are you know purchasing certain things um you know and combining them just we're just constantly i think the role of a strategist today is to be uh very very um diligent with sources of inspiration um and that can be social listening and using platforms like Brandwatch, which widen uses as well as um more sort of qualitative research like yougov and then and then looking internally at at their own uh at their own clients uh data sets and for a time we were working with a group out of johns hopkins to try to find really unique and interesting data points and and um i had actually um, started that role and then and then moved on so i'm not exactly sure what that where that fell off with or left off with widen but data is is just an incredibly important use uh or, or opportunity to find insights you just have to have that sort of that that ability to navigate the data which is really obviously very complex and then have the strategic insight or the strategic thinking um sort of capability to to turn that into a relevant insight that a creative team can run with and that's the art of it i think right yeah i mean you, you, you're mining you're, you're mining all these resources looking for opportunities right mm -hmm. at the end of the day yep yeah some some of these things that you know make you give you a little bit of a head scratching moment where you go actually we could we could probably do something with this this is a right. conversation that's happening that we could be part of exactly exactly yeah. i think it's it's really just now starting to hit that sort of fever pitch that tipping point of strategy teams using and accessing that data um to their advantage a lot of it is gut instinct and that's that's a huge part of it as you know um but the, when they come together really nicely uh to create a really striking and, and scalable insight it becomes really exciting yeah i mean i think your point earlier about the fact is that you know i don't think I don't think a lot of agency leadership understands the sort of uh, the manual task spreadsheet building kind of work that goes on. There's a lot yeah. of the, sort of a black box and you press a button and an insight comes out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. We had the benefit of having a very smart and robust media team um, in the later, you know, uh, KFCs now has their media at Wyden and Kennedy Portland. And, and that's a really that's an amazing relationship because you have some extremely smart, you know, data-driven thinkers on the media it's team. Isn't it? Yeah, and when you can partner strategy and media together as, yeah. as colleagues and friends to create exciting ways of thinking, it becomes really powerful. Yeah. So um, when when you think of when you think of your own uh, business now, um, did you did you set out with the people you had in mind from the get-go was it always going to be this or was this did you architect it or did you guys get together and say we want to do this it kind of became um a little serendipitous the the group um we we made a foray into uh cannabis 
um, together. We kind of came together the same way that we're brought together from the various um, parts of the industry, creative production, um, client side, sort of more, um, you know, traditional marketing and then myself from strategy. Um, we came together to, to create a marketing group in cannabis. And, and when cannabis became clear that it is a very exciting industry that is extremely nascent and really has a lot of growing pains, we spun uh, this group into, into this marketing team. And, and um, the serendipity of it is that there was, uh, there's a lot of cohesion that can come from not all agency people working on an, on a new type of business. And I think, uh, or a new type of agency business. And so that, you know, we have somebody who is, you know, a VP of brand marketing at, at Burton Snowboards and, and understands sort of the experience of a non-traditional and very, um, you know, sort of exciting industry. Uh, uh, combining that with people who have made, you know, big feature films um, and and big commercial work in the production space and, and then bringing, you know, design and strategy together. So we really wanted to create something that the intention was to create a full brand experience. How do you think of the brand from, you know, conception to all the way to going to market and, and then creating that customer service dynamic and, and all doing that from, from little old Bend, Oregon. And, and so that's really how that, how that came together. And, and uh, what we're seeing is that it provides us an opportunity to think outside of the typical agency uh, um, structure as well as you know be as much as a consulting group to our colleagues or to our partners as as we are a, a creative or production oriented company so it, it offers us a lot of um, uh, new ways of working with our clients that's proven to be quite uh, quite useful for them yeah i mean one of the issues one of the issues with the customer journey is what if you do them uh, and you find gaps that you can't execute, then you kind of forget about those gaps that you can't execute and focus on the ones right. you can. Right. That's kind of, that's really not in service of what the client really needs. Right. Because the, the ones you might be missing might be the most important ones. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And it requires a different approach, you know, a different background, a different experience set to, to be able to think about those gaps. And, and, uh, and, and it, and again, it becomes this holistic sort of integrated concept of the brand experience. Uh, everything from how do we, how do we create budgets and, and invest in these things all the way to what's the creative idea and how do you bring it to life? And, um, and to me that it's to your point, it's just, there's so much of that that's too often misunderstood or, or, or missed because the budgeting or the investment isn't correct. Uh, so we like to work with companies that are trying to do all of that um, as carefully as possible. So how long have you been in existence for? Uh, we started in uh, September, mid-September of 2019. Um, so we, we uh, got started and, and have been, you know, we have had a, a really exciting sort of, growth period from September to about February and, and uh, COVID hit and we've had to adjust how we, how we um, build our business, but, but there's still a ton of, you know, growth going on and, and exciting things happening. It's just a lot of things have sort of taken, um, you know, put on pause understandably. And uh, so we're finding different ways to, to create value. You had anyone, have you had anyone come to you who wants to, um, like get digital fast <laughs> yes yeah yes i think 
you know, there's, there's probably what's that because of the COVID thing, you know, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of people looking to figure out how to take advantage of, of what's happening. Um, of course, budgets are getting rocked left and right. So they're trying to be smart about it. But I think what is more indicative is, is of course, COVID is, is um, creating a lot of challenges and new opportunities to reach audiences. Um, and the digital transformation uh, is really being forced by COVID. And so there's a lot of com- uh, clients that are interested in learning how to do that. And that is happening. I think also just the entire media spectrum is changing in a dramatic way be- even before COVID. And so COVID has just put, you know, sort of the, just amplified it on steroids. And, but yet people are still wanting to know how do you reach audiences on YouTube? How do we make our, how do we make our Twitter strategy a little bit stronger? It's just, there's, there's, um, it's no longer acceptable to ignore your strategy on these platforms. And so companies are quite curious on how to do it well. And that's where we come in. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I mean, and the rules are changing constantly. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to, I used to be really active on Twitter. And it was about four years ago. And I just decided, I decided at the time to, to get off it. And now I realize why. Right. Yeah, I think there's a, a reckoning coming in social media as, as a whole, and you can see it on a regular basis with the clashing of everybody from leadership at these companies to you know, the echo chambers, uh, for a nice buzzword, you know, the echo chambers that are, that are being developed on these platforms at a, you know, a scary rate and companies are trying to figure out both how to take advantage of it, uh, and, and find people to be, you know, make aware of their products, but also not get caught up in some of the dangers of these platforms. And it's a, it's a tricky balance. Yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting is this, you know, Look at the you look at the talent on YouTube that's successful, mm. and uh, they drive that delicate balance between selling and, and entertaining and informing. Yes. I think whatever yes. comes for a brand is always seen as selling. Hundred percent. One hundred percent. I think that's why you know we're 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 you know we're actually guiding one of our clients right now on how to strike that exact balance, and and to us you know, it is quite simple. It's make sure that you're adding value before you're jamming an offer or jamming a new product or jamming, you know, some self-serving messaging in there first, right? So value first. And that typically is about uh, understanding the, you know, being at the bleeding edge of how these platforms are engaging their own users uh, and creating culture around them. And and, um, there's opportunities bubbling up left and right and it's really just requires somebody to to pay attention to it yeah i mean that's my other question is how deep into the weeds do you need to be um just just deep enough to get wet without going so deep to get muddy would be probably the cryptic way of saying that i mean i think you have to be willing to see how people are using these. I think it's about finding um, the human insights behind the behavior, right? And, and so what I mean by that is, an example is YouTube is, you know, there's a subculture growing on YouTube about that is around 
um, sort of putting YouTube on in the background, YouTube creators on in the background while they're doing everyday mundane tasks. It's called blank with me, right? Clean with me, study with me, um, pack with me. These yeah. sort of soothing concepts or these soothing video sort of concepts that are really pretty meaningless and have at, at their first glance really don't have any real way of, of allowing a brand to add value. Um, but what you see is that people are, you know, to me, the insight behind that is people are spending more time at home, more time isolated and are being turned off by traditional broadcast television. And so they're looking to have, you know, some stuff on in the background that's just soothing and, and interesting and gets them through whatever they're doing. And so if you find the this, this sort of human behavior behind these unique insights that are growing out of them, um, or growing out of these platforms, then then you can find an appropriate way to to add value. And I think it's it's having the boldness and awareness to find those and engage in those rising um, sort of trends, and then allocating budget and investment and and uh, really the the experimental appetite to partake in those and uh, see what works and and move on from from what doesn't. And I think that's so does that. Is experimentation a very much a part of your philosophy? Absolutely. You know, yeah. responsible experimentation I yeah. think would be the best way to put that. So it's sort of a test and learn. I think so. I think it's I think it's acknowledging that your audience most likely, if you're a you know if you're a mass consumption brand, or even if you're trying to reach you know specific audiences, the reality is that your audience is experimenting with all of the, these different platforms. Uh, in ways that we're, if we get too institutionalized with our thinking, we're going to miss. And I think it, it touches everything from media behaviors, you know, turning on YouTube in the background, all the way to creative behaviors. I think TikTok has fundamentally changed the way that we think about creativity as a, as a social, you know, as a society. And, and so you have to be willing to um, make experimentation a part of your communication strategy. And that's you know, that requires you to think about your brand and how it shows up in the minds of your audience, uh, your product and how it can potentially impact their lives. And then, and then find that third sort of tentpole of, of how are people using media and how can you create a valuable, you know, a valuable uh, ad addition or be additive to their lives. What do you, what do you, what do you um, pick on TikTok as creativity? Cause it seems it's relevant in all platforms, but why is it more accentuated and Accentuated in uh, TikTok, do you think? I think right now, TikTok's concept, the, con the concept of creativity on TikTok has, I think if it hasn't been acknowledged as changing creativity overall, it certainly will. And I, what I mean by that is, it is this strange, I'm not a huge TikTok fan by any means, it's just utterly fascinating to me. Um, it is a strange intersection of the democratization of technology as a creative platform. So they have, you know, these wide ranging filters, um, all of these various ways to sort of bring augmented reality and shortcut, you know, sort of um, video construction. So just the TikTok um, creative language has changed. And then um, really the ability for a mom, you know, a 40 year old mom in Utah to create as much influence as a, you know, as a Kim Kardashian in LA is, is unignorable. And, and I think what that's doing is, is saying big budgets and big um, creative thinking is no longer sort of, uh, it's no longer this sort of walled castle anymore. 
it is it is uh, it is happening everywhere, and so brands will be better served to start thinking about these quick bite sort of creative actions rather you know rather than thinking about the the massive multi million dollar uh, single platform thirty second spot that is you know blasting one message at people over and over again until you get your reach and frequency. Um, yeah, I mean some, something fundamental has changed. You know. Oh, years ago, a woman put on a Star Wars mask in a, in a parking lot. Right, right, exactly. That was before TikTok. Exactly. So it's been going on for a while, but something something else is there's another dimension to this. I think so. I think I think what is I think what's happening is that it is now it, the proliferation of it is is just unignormal. There's one of those women, you know, one of those sort of viral icons happening it's, every it's day like, it's like a logarithmic factor it is it yeah. is yeah so i think we just were seeing sort of the beginning stages of i remember that you know when she when she did that and and just exploded i mean her fame just exploded and everybody was trying all brands were trying to get her to endorse their product and all the talk shows were trying to get her on their tv show and now if you look at you know if you follow any hashtag on tiktok there are millions if not billions of views on these videos and uh and it's so it's just such a direct intense focus on on um this type that type of creativity that type of democratized creativity that that it's it's uh it's completely unignorable now it's a part it has to be a fundamental part of the strategy the hard part is figuring out how to do it and not come off you know cheesy or insincere and uh that's where the test and learn sort of comes in yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, so what about um, what about other techn? What about technologies like VR? Is that is that ever going to go anywhere? Is it? It seems so, like now, if now people are going to use VR, they were going to use it now, and it doesn't really seem there. You're right. Yeah, I think that's right. I think. I would be more excited. You know, I think what's happening with, I think if VR is going to be a thing, um, it's going to have to be more accessible. And I think a good precursor possibly to the VR sort of, um, you know, VR is exciting because it can create this immersive world where many, many, many different people get to come in and have their own narratives and, and build that sort of way of looking at the world. It's obviously a very literal extension of that thinking. I think the precursor to that is what we're seeing in these massive multiplayer online video games um, where, you know, there's these battle royale games that are, that are bringing in millions and, and millions of dollars for not only the platform, um, but also the players that are building, you know, sort of identities around these platforms, you know, Fortnite, what Fortnite was able to do and changing gaming um, and Call of Duty and these big sort of franchise models are starting to follow on is, is that people expect, you know, people like to create and watch other people create these sort of personal narratives around a gaming experience. And so I think VR is just the technological extension of that, but it's still taking a ton of, especially young people's, you know, attention and sort of getting stars in their eyes because they see people sort of creating these alternate, you know, worlds for themselves and, and creating value around that, that they get to interact with people on the other side of the globe and create these sort of digitally connected communities that VR, 
I think may have the opportunity to do that, but I think right now gaming is, is probably the first step in that direction. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me if you, if you kind of plot a timeline, you know, you go from the, from the growth of mass media where you knew what was going on, you knew how to reach people and it was a very controlled environment. Even when the internet came along, it still was like, okay, people are doing something else, but we can still reach them. Now right. you get to the point where actually people are escaping. Yep. You know, they're, they're not on TV. They're really, they are on the internet, but they're not on the internet that you, in a way that you can kind of reach them. And so, exactly. so they sort of escaped the clutch <laughs> right. of brands. Brands had them in their, their clutches, whether it was a YouTube 15 second thing or a, right. or a TV commercial. Now people are watching TV, but they're not watching TV. And, um, you know, they're participating in gaming environments that they're creating. Um, right. It's a very different, it's a very um complex it is yeah it's again it's these it's these walled gardens um that that you know we saw originally with with social networks and being able to access these interests for people uh with the permission of facebook or or the permission of of um, twitter or youtube and now to your point the escape is continuing further down the rabbit hole into these, you know, into these little nooks and crannies that, that brands can't access. And that's why um, brands like Ikea are adopting these AR, you know, VR sort of test, you know, experimentations of how to create value for their audiences that is reflective of the other type of experience that these audiences are getting in a gaming environment. Um, and so I think if that is, you know, I don't know where VR as a platform will will go or as a as a concept because there's so much arguing between Oculus and you know whatever the other VR platforms are. There there's no there's no cohesion and that's been an issue for tech for a long time, or at least users of tech, is there's no cohesive concept of of how of one single world. Um, but I think gaming is is really showing that that um, attention is not on how brands on places where brands can just yell at you. It's, it has to be something that is full holistic and full circle and creates value. And you see, you know, I think, um, Travis Scott just did a, a big yeah. concert in Fortnite. You know, that's a really exciting revolutionary way to think about where people's attention is. And, and so I think we'll start to see more of that, but it's definitely getting much harder. And yeah, yeah but I, even when you, even when you look at that, you know, you know, a free, a free concert by a well-known, it's like the value add is pretty huge. Right. It's very, even though it's invasive, there's so much, uh, there's so much positivity around that. Right. Um, protest going on right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting to me is I can see like the analog, like linear, you know, kids are using AR, it's the right technology makes sense for Ikea. But in fact, in most of these worlds, um, especially TikTok, people want fame. Right. People are looking for fame. How can you yeah. get, how can you make them famous? Yeah, it's, it's, again, that's, you know, I think a lot of brands think about their awareness now as a concept of fame. How do you make brands famous and how do you make the people who use your products 
more famous. And I think that that's, that's certainly one way of doing things. I think while the, the, you know, while the rise of these platforms, you know, both immersive like gaming and, and not so immersive, like, you know, passive viewing, like YouTube, these platforms are still going or Twitch, you know, these platforms are still going to be on the rise. And while that's happening, there is still ways to create awareness through, uh, I think, uh, engaging in pop, you know, popular culture in these little sub communities, um, that's going to be important as well. And I think that's where, um, you know, getting headlines, uh, in, in, um, I guess TechCrunch or HuffPost or whatever, I think a lot of brands are starting to catch on to, um, making things that are surprising and interesting will get the PR and, and the coverage in headlines that will sort of make its way into people's news feeds in ways that are a little bit subversive of how typical advertising has done it. And so you're starting to see brands, you know, like, um, uh, you know, an a small but interesting example is Heinz Ketchup coming out with, you know, a, a all red puzzle to do in quarantine. And that was, you know, it's a clever and interesting way to think about passing the time during quarantine. So, uh, that showed up in headlines and people saw that and they could really, you know, make an association with Heinz for being clever and interesting. And that becomes a little bit of fame for that brand. And so brands like, you know, Burger King is doing that well. McDonald's is starting to do that well. I think brands where news equals awareness, um, even KFC with coming out with a fashion collaboration uh, to launch a limited release Crocs, you know, set of wearable, you know, shoe yeah. Crocs, which is so silly that shows up in headlines and that becomes a way to make fame um, penetrate some of those formidable walls of attention that people are trying to actively block off, but headlines still. Yeah, it seems to me like you gotta be, you gotta be, you gotta be looking at it from all angles because if you just, right. if you just do one, it's not going to have, you're not going to have the foundation. Exactly. And that's where the experimentation the of KFC is in has spent the time to build the foundation. That once you have the foundation built, you can you can drop the budget on your air cover, increase the budget on digital, but you built it, you know, and right. you still need to manage the, the balance of those two. Yeah. Um, yeah so, which is hard work, but it is, but it is, uh, it's a good example of kind of attacking the same problem from multiple angle, angle, angles, as you said. Cool. Thank you so much. It was interesting. Oh my gosh. Thank you. The, the pleasure is mine. Thank you for, for uh, allowing me to come on and chat. It's been, it's been fascinating. Awesome. Um, yeah, let's stay in touch and uh, I'll let you know when this, uh, when this goes live. Awesome. We'd we'll love it. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate it. Goodbye. This is your host, Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.